the multi-hole club was a, a group of real enthusiasts. Uh, Roger Dilly was one of the members who decided that it might be a good idea for the club to run a more or less a, a sprint race. No, no rules, just go as fast as we can up the coast. Uh, we got the first one up and running in, in 82. Uh, just really as a bit of a trial to see how it would go. Everybody kind of talks about this race. It's it's New Zealand's great race, um, and you know everyone really gets involved, really gets excited, and it's just awesome to see so many boats on the start line. It's it's a great atmosphere. If you've got if you've got the breeze from the right direction, it can really be quite a good send up the coast. And um, when we got there at two or three in the morning, there was this damn multi-hole sitting there on the wharf, uh, the only boat to beat us and sometime later on I said to someone, crikey what do you got to do to win this race and they said shit just go and buy a multi-hole, go and get one of those old Ormas that's lying around Europe. Hi everyone and welcome along to Broadreach Radio, the Yachting New Zealand podcast. My name is Michael Brown, and today we bring you a special edition on New Zealand's Great Race. The Coastal Classic was first contested in 1982, and now attracts more than 150 boats of all shapes and sizes for the annual blast up the coast from Auckland to the Bay of Islands that typically signals the start of the summer sailing season. We bring you three different perspectives in this podcast. We start off by chatting to Matthew Flynn, who took part in the first race in the early 1980s, and was on the organising committee that brought it all together. He's still a key figure on the organising committee today and is regularly on the start line, more latterly doing it single-handedly. Matthew talks about the race's origins, some of the changes over the time, and what makes the race so special. We then catch up with ocean racer Bianca Cook, who has done the Coastal Classic a number of times, but this year will do it in her entry for the next ocean race. The Coastal Classic will actually be the first outing in a race for the Volvo 65 as plans for her New Zealand Ocean Race team step up a gear. We talk to her about the significance of hitting the racetrack next week and also get an update on her campaign to put together an all-Kiwi team in the next Ocean Race starting in 2022. Our final interview is with Simon Hull, who has done the race more than 30 times, including claiming line honours 10 times and he's also held the race record until last year. Simon talks about chasing race records, the social element, and the time he chopped in America's Cup skipper Jimmy Spittle to join his crew. Because, because this podcast is a little different to the normal format, we won't have a worst wipeout ever. But don't worry, it'll be back. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy a look into the Coastal Classic. Well, on the line now, we have Matthew Flynn. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Well, I guess um, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who's done more Coastal Classics than you. Um, do you actually know the number, how many you've done? Oh, I'm not sure, actually, Michael. I've stopped counting. But uh, I do know that there are a few guys that have done an awful lot as well. So um, there are some people keep coming back year after year. But I've... I've I, mean, I was just lost track of how many. They, they all blend into one after a while. 
what makes it so special for you and what brings you back year after year? Oh, look, Michael, this is, a, this is an epic event for a couple of reasons. It's uh, Firstly, it's just a, a really nice way to spend Labour Weekend and it's great to have a, a destination race. So we leave Auckland and everybody, you know, the start with, it's the biggest gathering of, of yachts in Auckland all on the start line, having a, a great, great spectacle at the start and then just sailing up that coast, it's just a, a really... Uh, beautiful coast. It's a challenging coast. It's a really interesting race, and then it's just epic to be up in the uh, Bay of Islands, the the Russell atmosphere and the the um, sense of achievement for everyone getting up there and just making that long sail. It really makes it super special as a, as an event year after year. Re- really enjoyable. Now, I understand your father was involved in the organisation of the first one. What do you remember about how that race came about? You know, actually, there was a, um, the, 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 the multi-hole club was a, a really interesting uh, group of real enthusiasts way back in the, well, it's been going for a long time, but in the, in the early 80s, uh, Roger Dilley was one of the members who decided that it might be a good idea for the club to run a more or less a, a sprint race. No, no rules, just go as fast as we can up the coast, a bit like um, the old powerboat race that used to happen so we thought we might he, he was keen to replicate that and I was I'm 19 at the time I was a member of the club and my dad was a member and we we all sat around and a little committee got formed and decided to hold an event and, and the, um, the, the, the the idea was to see not not so much a speed but actually turn it into an event and see how it would how it would run so uh, we got the first one up and running in, in 82 uh, just really is a bit of a trial to see how it would go. And uh, you know, not many boats entered, but that was the idea. Let's do something different and let's let's race up the coast. Do you know why that route and, and that date was chosen? Has it always been that Labour weekend? Yeah, look, there was nothing on. Uh, looking back over the newspapers, there's only one other yachting event uh, in that time, some event on the North Shore. There was really nothing happening. Um, and also... At that time, it's important to remember that multi-holes were a kind of a unique breed and they were very much outside racing. So no one else was really putting on many events for them and they were it was a little bit different to how it is now. So they were very much on their own and, and thought, well, let's do something ourselves on that Labor Weekend and just get on and organise it. So that, that was the route was chosen because just why not go up the coast? We were looking for a reasonably good length of event and somewhere to end up. Obviously, there's a great desire when you get somewhere to stop and <laughs> enjoy each other's company. So Russell, all the Bay of Islands generally was was chosen as, a, as an obvious route. Was it easy to get people excited about the concept, you know, get them uh, talking about what this new event was all about? Well, interestingly enough, there, I mean, there was a small club there, there were just a few real hardcore enthusiasts multi-hulks they were looking for something exciting um real corinthian effort the first couple of events relatively small and then you know i noticed there was some looking back over the records there was some herald coverage of that very first race saying you know there's some crazy multi-hulk guys are going to run a new race up the coast fancy that and then within a you know a couple of years later, there was uh, nearly a hundred boats entered. So it soon gathered uh, real momentum as a as a as a really good and exciting weekend. 
so was that first one open to um, mono holes or was it exclusively multi holes you took part? No, we we opened it to multi. We opened it to keelboats. We uh, sort of said, well, they they weren't really inviting us to any of their races in those days. But um, we thought, well, well, let's have a race and invite them. And and two or three did enter. The no, most notable one was was the classic um, for Dallas, which was we were thrilled that they entered. There was a couple of other uh, boats. There was a boat called Hawkeye, um, but really just two or three. But it was open to keelboats. So we decided to invite them. To the to the multi hull event in those days, which was really quite something. Because you mentioned there was sort of a trial initially. When did you feel like you were onto something and that it could be an enduring success? Um, well, look, well, the next year immediately it started rolling, um, Michael. So you know, as I said, within a couple of years, it had gone from twelve. There were there were twelve multi holes and three keelboats that were in the first one a couple of them didn't make it so it went from just you know 10 or 12 club boats plus a couple of keelboats uh very quickly very quickly going um i mean to be honest when i got there i'll never forget thinking what a neat event this was and that was the very first one and uh we all hoped it would probably go on and it, it certainly did gather great momentum and it soon it soon gathered you know once you have 100 boats within a couple of years that's a big, that's becoming a pretty big event. Mm, you certainly, people stand up and take notice. You know, you can see all those boats uh, diving down the harbour on their way out of um, Devonport and up, and up the coast. It's, uh, it's really a spectacular sight at times. So how's the, I guess, the race evolved over time? You know, what have been some of the major changes? Well, to be honest, it's, it's very much stayed the same course, uh, pretty much the same start line. Uh the the numbers have changed, and that's really you know caused it caused some more uh, logistical challenges. And I think what what's changed over the years is from you know a really just a few club supporters running it to being quite a major event, which requires you know professional management. Now um, it's required an increasing amount of sponsorship to keep it going. Um, but the core, you know, the the actual core spirit of the event, I don't think has changed at all it's still very much the excitement and the the challenge of that race up the coast that it always has been did you ever think that some boats would be you know almost beating five hours for that trek oh look at, not re well it was you know the, the first record was 18 hours and that was really something you know in 1982 we all thought that was a really fast time um our first time when i did it you know, it was 24 hours, and that, that was pretty normal. But, you know, now it's just got shorter and shorter. Whether it ever gets less than five, who knows? But, you know, in 82, we never would have thought someone was doing it as fast as they're doing it now. So um, who knows what the future holds for the speed. Are there some races that really stick out for you, and, and maybe what reason do they stick out? Oh, I'd have to say the first one, of course. Michael, that, you know, being part of that very first event, it was hard. We did it two-handed, just my dad and myself, on a very small trimaran that you could really hardly get inside. And the conditions were pretty horrible. We got wet, cold, and, and it was 24 hours. So I'll never forget that one, obviously. Um, there's been a few on the way through where the conditions have been either real super slow, uh, which can, can ones that you probably want to forget about, but there have been some windy ones. I did one about 10 years ago on 
Sister Moonshine with um, with Dave Stanton, my good friend, and he he had a we had a really really significant northeasterly the whole way up the coast, and I'll never forget we all just sat on the rail for the whole race, and it was pretty hard work. Um, and although although it's tough at the time, the sense of achievement when you get there is something that you really don't ever forget. And that was that was for me that was a very memorable race, and there's been lots of other ones in between. Another one on the Mokihi with Max at Carl Warren, which was very exciting in the early days of uh, racing trimarans up there. So, yeah, there's, there's been a lot. But those those are the ones, some of the ones I thought were particularly special. Did, did you race in 1989 when only, I think, 65 of the 155 starters finished? You know, when gale force headwinds, I think, of around 70 knots and enormous seas battered the fleet. Were you there? Yeah, no, I wasn't to be honest, Michael. I was I was overseas at that time, um, working elsewhere, so I didn't get to do that one. But I heard all about it. But it was pretty horrendous, and just looking at some of the old footage and and some of the old newspaper stories, you know, you can see that there were a significant amount of search and rescue activities it required. You know, only half the fleet made it, and it took a long time for them to work out where everybody was. But you know that they, they they made it. But yeah, that was particularly particularly bad. There have been some over the last thirty eight years which have had you know boisterous, rough, northerly conditions, which do make it a different type of race completely. Sounds like you picked a good one to miss. <laughs> I think I might have done actually. I certainly heard, heard a lot about it, and uh, uh, I'm glad it was in the end. You know, everyone was accounted for. So, what are the perfect conditions? What do you, you know, look out the window and on race morning, go, oh, yeah, this is gold, this is magic, it's going to be a great send up the coast? Uh, well, I think, you know, if you wake up, if, if it's sunny is a good start, <laughs> and if it's southwesterly, that's a good start, and if it's sort of not too strong, we don't, you know, you don't want really, really gusty conditions, but, you know, blowing 15 to 20, gusting up to 25 for most of the course has proven to be a very fast course, and that's always a good it's always good good conditions. It makes it relatively flat. Um, you know, the dream conditions for everyone is a southeasterly, where the trouble with the southwesterly is that when you come around Cape Breton, you have you're on the wind into Russell, so that's 25 miles of the beat. In whereas if you can get a southeasterly up the coast, you can get a spinnaker ride all the way up to Cape Breton, and then you can still go very fast into Russell. But that doesn't happen very often. That's a real Everyone kind of thinks that's the that's the holy grail condition that we everyone's always hoping for, but it doesn't come up very often at all. Well, fingers crossed for next weekend then. Yeah, um, never know. So, if you could just put your sort of administrator's hat on, you know, what has been some of the major challenges for the race over the years? Um, I think safety, uh, upgrading all the safety and, and getting everybody on board with that. I think, Michael, that's the most important part of the race. The numbers are really big. Um, they've got, you know, they've got really big at one stage, over 270. They've scaled back a little bit more for over the last decade. But um, I think administratively keeping uh, boats up to scratch and making sure that when they enter, they meet the Category 3 requirements. Um, you know, sometimes people leave it late and there's been quite a few issues where people have thought they had things and they didn't and they weren't basically weren't as prepared as they might be um 
we've always wanted them everyone to be absolutely properly safely prepared so i guess you know getting boats compliant has been really really the big priority and, and has required quite a lot of work i think over the years so have you been involved in uh, organizing the event all the way through uh no i i was overseas for for several years um so didn't but um so i was involved in the earlier earlier events um and then more lately i've been involved i was the race director up until the last couple of events for a number of years um bit of a family affair as well my sister emily she's been very very involved as the race organizer uh as a professional organizer of the race so it's it's actually a big it's a big family event for us as well um, and emily's been involved in that role uh, with assistance from her husband Dennis and various other family members sort of in the background helping for, for several years now in that and, and she's still running it um, this year as well mm. you mentioned that you've done it shorthanded a, a few times and i think uh, even single-handed a, a, a handful of times as well you know what what's kind of your thinking behind that is it more of a challenge yeah, it's a super challenge Mark. i've done it crewed lots and lots of times uh, i've got a boat which has been set up to race shorthanded um, and race single-handed and i've always fancied it we introduced the single-handed division relatively recently there's you know a growing number of people around who who'd like that kind of racing there's quite a strong shorthanded and, and solo um spirit happening around the place so i thought yeah i'm going to have a crack at that I'm not quite sure why it's super hard and it's really tough going it's it's sort of like a sprint event so it's 120 miles even in good conditions it's pretty intense on your own it's not the sort of race that you can just quietly go down and have a sleep for a for an hour or so there's so much traffic you you're on the on basically on the on watch the whole race by yourself but you know there's a challenge in that which i particularly like i also enjoy the physical physical challenges just handing my big boat by myself and the sense of getting there in one piece and actually going pretty well is, is good. So how will you be racing next week? Oh, pretty looking forward to it, to be honest. I, 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 last year I took a full crew and we had a really nice uh, number of members of my family and associated friends came along, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to next week just to having another crack um, at, at seeing how how i can how hard i can push the boat really single-handedly yeah single hand yeah so i'm going to go single-handedly i've just had a, a relatively significant um birthday so i thought yeah i'd like to celebrate that also with a um a good hard physical challenge of, of a solo race <laughs> so i keep pushing myself michael but uh, that's that's half the fun next stop vonday globe is it <laughs> I, I think i think i might have missed my run at that <laughs> i think that, that's good uh, so what sort of future do you see for the race? Well, every year we're getting an increasing number of new people who have never done it before. So I love the fact that it's retaining its Corinthian um, spirit. You know, we want people who want to have a challenge but also an adventure. So although it's a competitive yacht race and there are great prizes and it's very closely fought, for a lot of people it's the first and maybe longest race of this nature that they've done and for an awful lot of yachts this will be the longest race that they do every year so we're finding a, a real interest coming from people who who've got like a performance cruising yacht they've got some 
friends and family that fancy doing something a little bit more challenging. So the future of it, I think, Michael, is to continue to promote the fun and adventure aspect of the race. You know, we're always going to get people that are keen to go hard and win, but, you know, equally we're going to get a lot of people who just love the fact that they're going to do something like this. So I, I see the future in line with a lot of things where we just learn to balance up having a bit of fun and a bit of time with your crew and just a good a good social occasion along with a good physical challenge. And what about you? Will you be lining up every year that you're able to? <laughs> yeah, I think there's plenty more to go, Michael. Yes, I'm, I'm absolutely, yeah, it's just a great way to spend Labor Weekend. And, you know, my family all comes up and we rent a house up there for the weekend and, and, and then, you know, you turn around and sail back and, you know, I'll be sailing back with my sisters this year and we have a really nice trip back down the coast. So it just makes a really good break away from um, from where what we're all doing. So, yeah, I think uh, I can't see... We've just never lost interest in it. And, you know, there, I've met lots of people who've done it 30, 30, 30 times, you know, um, uh, or more already. So people just keep coming back. Well, it's certainly a, a fascinating race and a great sight to, to see when all the boats, are, particularly under spinnaker, if they can be at the start, you know, on the or sending it off the start line. So we look forward to that next week and we'll uh, keep an eye out for you um, as you're setting off as well. So I hope it goes well for you. And, and look, thanks so much for joining us on Broadreach Radio and, and filling us in really on um, some of the background to the event and some of the things, uh, changes that have been made over the time as well. No, oh, thank you, Michael. And you know, it's really good to have Yachting New Zealand support for the event. That's very important for the event and it's, uh, it's been an excellent collaboration. So, you know, it's a long may that continue and we're really grateful for that. Well, joining us on the show now is Bianca Cook. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, regular listeners of the show will remember Bianca featured uh, on episode four back in May when she talked about her experiences in the last ocean race and the evolution of her new team, the New Zealand Ocean Racing, for the next ocean race in 2022. Um, before that, though, Bianca will race the Volvo 65 in next week's Coastal Classic. Uh, I think it's its first race in new colours because, of course, it was uh, previously turned the tide on plastic in the last ocean race. So, Bianca, how are things shaping up ahead of the Coastal Classic? Uh, well, firstly, I think it's just such a relief to uh, finally have the, the Volvo 65 in the water. I mean, it's been awesome being able to kind of boost around the Hodaki Gulf. And, yeah, it's pretty exciting uh, that we're actually going to be able to make the start line of the Coastal Classic this year. So what are your expectations or ambitions? My ambitions are that hopefully we've got a, a blasting easterly and we'll send it up the coast nice and quick. So it's just a, a bit of a hit out for the boat and the crew? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're quite lucky. We've uh, had a couple of weekends out there on, on the water and, you know, just kind of getting everybody up to speed. It's, it's a big boat, but relatively quite basic, really, once you kind of get into the mechanics of it all. So it's really just getting everyone used to the different systems. Um, it's a lot bigger. The loads are a little bit bigger than what some of them are used to. So it's really just developing a bit of a squad and, and really looking forward to just being able to race up the coast. How many times have you actually done the Coastal Classic before? 
I've done the coastal six times, so this will be my seventh race. Yeah. When was the first and what do you remember about that? My first Coastal Classic was when I was in youth program at the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron and I kind of got picked last minute to sail up the coast on Satellite Spy and uh, I just remember it being quite breezy and and I remember doing about five sail changes before we got to Tiri Um, but it was awesome. It was kind of like my first real kind of experience in in a slightly bigger boat than than what I was used to and um, no, it was it was awesome it really kind of was the first coastal that I got really excited about. Is Has there been a, a particularly memorable uh, episode or, or you know year of the race? Um, I couldn't really tell you a year because it's, <laughs> it's been quite a while um, uh, definitely racing up the coast on Satellite Spire, you know, those were, I, I did three or four races on that. I actually flew back from overseas um, the night before one coastal and, and was quite jet lagged on the rail. But, um, you know, th- that was where I kind of learned how to do bow on, on that boat and, and really kind of push it a little bit. And um, that was pretty awesome. I've also sailed up on Anarchy. Um, but last year I sailed up on Kiakaha and it was the first time I made it up to Russell during daylight hours. So, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> what, what do you think makes the race so special? I, honestly, I think it's actually the start line. You know, you, every, everybody kind of talks about this race. It's it's New Zealand's great race. Um, and, you know, everyone really gets involved, really gets excited. And it's just awesome to see so many boats on the start line. It's it's a great atmosphere. And, you know, it's it's if you've got if you've got the breeze from the right direction, it can really be quite a good send up the coast. So is it, um, you know, a matter of trying to keep the boat out of any danger um, or are you looking to go as fast as possible and, and sort of make a bit of a statement? Oh, I think, you know, with, with any time you kind of step on one of these boats, it's really important that everyone's safe and, and that you're not putting yourself or, or anybody else in danger for sure. Um, but, of course, we want to be able to, you know, get some good speeds out of the boat. We've only really been out kind of practising, you know, checking systems, doing a few manoeuvres, but it would be awesome to be able to kind of push the boat a little bit harder and, you know, get up there as quick as we can. So you've given the boat a bit of a refit uh, when it got to New Zealand and, and sort of, as you mentioned, you've taken it out for your, its, its first sales recently. You know, what's those experiences been like? Because it's sort of been a, a campaign that's grown legs over the last 18 months or so. Yeah, well, like I said earlier, it's it's just such a relief to finally have the boat in the water. It, it feels like a huge milestone for us. Bit of a risky call, but we were like we de- decided, sorry, that you know we just had to get the boat in the water and get it out there. And what better way to start with the Coastal Classic? Um, but I definitely uh, stepping on the boat for the first time certainly brought back a few memories. Um, and over the weekend, you kind of remembered how wet these boats can get. But it's been fantastic. You know, we've had the opportunity to have some of the greatest uh, New Zealand offshore sailors come out on board with us and, you know, kind of give us a few tips and, co- and coach a few of the younger sailors into how to sail this boat. And, you know, I've learned so much from them already on different ways that they sailed the boat around the world. So it's been fantastic to have that knowledge coming on board. People like who? Uh, so we've had Rob Salthouse, Justin Ferris, uh, Ryan Houston. We've also had uh, Daryl Wislang. He'll be sailing up the coast with us as well as Ryan Houston and also uh, Daryl Wislang. So, you know, it's fantastic to have those those amazing sailors come on board and, and give us their time and and uh, also learning a lot. And hopefully we'll be able to get a couple more on board as, as the campaign kind of progresses.
Mm. You're obviously familiar with this boat, having raced around the world with it last time. Does it feel like an old friend or is it a completely new boat after a, a refit? Um, to be honest, it, the, the refit was really just more of kind of servicing the boat and making sure that everything worked. Um, and, you know, it, it, it does it doesn't really feel like too much has changed, to be honest. And it's fantastic to see the sailors that we've got on board, you know, really kind of trying to consume as much knowledge as they can from everyone that's stepped on board that knows these boats. Um, it does kind of feel... You know, like there's some people that are missing because I spent nine months sailing around the world with, you know, a completely different crew. Um, but it's great to see that, you know, we've got these sailors on board that that really just want to learn and, and kind of figure out how things work. But, but it's great. Mm. The whole world has been impacted by COVID. So what impact has that had on your campaign? Has it sort of helped you because it's given you more time with the delay in the, the, the next race? Or has it hindered you because you haven't been able to do everything you wanted? Um, look, I'd be lying if I said that it hadn't impacted us at all. Um, and I certainly, you know, we were due to launch the boat the day that New Zealand went into a nationwide lockdown. Um, and we'd had really positive kind of conversations with businesses leading into it. Um, and we haven't quite managed to initiate those conversations yet. Um, and certainly during the lockdown, I, I myself kind of was trying to figure out whether we'd actually be able to get this thing in the water, which is why I say now that it's just such a relief to see it in, in there and, and out there sailing. And it's, it's just such a buzz to finally be at that stage. Um, but, yeah, there's no doubt about it that COVID has certainly uh, hindered all sporting um, at the moment, and it has certainly made things hard for all anyone trying to seek sponsorship in this current climate. Uh, but you know, we've been given a year's delay. Um, I guess you could say that that that's, that is a good thing, and that you know we're we're going to be able to do a lot more sailing down here in New Zealand, get a lot more experience on the boat, but also it gives us a little more time to try and find that sponsorship. Because uh, yeah, if we were trying to make the start line next year, I'd be uh, quite worried. Um, but you yeah, know, it's it's. It is hard and businesses are suffering, but we're slowly starting to kind of feel like people are starting to engage again. So, no, it's it's nice to see some positive stuff going out there now. Mm. I guess you've uh, probably had your your sales hat on at, at various times, but, you know, if people, someone's listening, what can they do if they want to help? Um, <laughs> I often get asked that question and, um, uh, yeah, give us a call. I mean, we, we, we've been, um, really conscious about approaching, um, anyone during this time, um, just because we just didn't feel that it was appropriate. Um, but yeah, we're slowly, you know, having the boat in the water, we, we felt like it would really kind of ignite, um, people's passion for ocean racing again, but also kind of let people know that this is, this is happening and, and, you know, our, our, ultimate goal is to be on the start line for the ocean race uh, but right now you know we're kind of concentrating on what we can do here in New Zealand so yeah it's <laughs> I don't know give us a call <laughs> follow us follow us on follow us on Facebook Instagram LinkedIn follow our website <laughs> mm, I like 100 Bianca we need money <laughs> yeah free stuff <laughs> Uh, you, you've talked about some of the sailors who are going to join you next week. Are, are they potentially some of the ones who could be joining you for the ocean race? 
Well, I mean, it's very, very early to kind of be um, talking about crew for, for the actual ocean race. Um, and the sailors that we have on board at the moment, you know, they've been a huge help with helping us actually get the boat in the water. Um, and, the, you know, at the moment, we're kind of at more of a development kind of stage. And, you know, they're learning as much as they can. They're all extremely keen to be to obviously do the ocean race. Um, but at the moment, you know, we're just at a development stage and soon I know I've been asked by quite a few people you know when are you doing trials when are you doing selections um but that's something that we'll look at after the coastal classic and how that will look we'll uh, have to make a few decisions on that and are you on the stick for the start next week uh, actually uh, I've got Daryl Wislang uh, yeah. he's going to be he's going to be helming at the start line but I'll certainly be taking the wheel a few times up the coast Nice. You've, you've said you want to take the boat around New Zealand to, to generate support and interest. So where are you at with um, your plans for that? Yeah, so it, it kind of feels like every time we get a little bit further, um, we kind of go into these different levels of lockdown. Um, but, you know, we, we, we decide kind of having a bit more of a look at it. It's, it's not just about generating interest for us as a team, but it's also about giving back to the communities uh, around the country. And, you know, we've, we've kind of mapped out a rough route of where we can go because the boat draws 4.8 metres. So there's only certain ports that we can really get into, um, but we're getting closer and hopefully, you know, by the end of, of November, we'll have a bit more of a solid plan and hope to kind of do something probably mid or early to mid next year. Excellent. What else have you sort of got on the agenda, you know, COVID permitting? Are there any races that you've sort of penciled in the diary? Um, well, yeah, we had we had quite a few, we had a couple of races that were kind of penciled in the diary. Um, definitely, we're going to try and do all the local racing here. There's the Akarana 350 at the end of November. That would be awesome to have a squad together to do that race. Um, you know, try and do all those longer races here out of out of um, Auckland and um, up the coast. But obviously, you know, with the current situation around the world, you know, we would love to have done the Sydney Hobart and the um, Sydney to Auckland race and, you know, your Auckland to Fiji races. But we'll just have to see how things kind of go over the next couple of months and, and how borders start to open over the, over the near future. You know, it's certainly pretty difficult to plan anyway. But we um, wish you well with your campaign and certainly be following your progress um, with interest, obviously starting with next week's Coastal Classic. Um, so it'd be great to see that black and white boat on the start line. So all the best for that. And thanks for joining us again on Broadreach Radio. Well, thank you so much for having me. Joining us now is Simon Hull. Welcome. Morning, Michael. Of course, Simon's synonymous with the Coastal Classic, having won it 10 times and is now involved in organising it. Um, but firstly, can you count up how many times have you done the race? Uh, probably not accurately. I think it's north of uh, 30 times. Um, first time was 84 or 85, uh, started on far 38, but I, I really I can't be 100%. I've missed a couple on the way through, um, but yeah, done most. So what was that first one like, that 84, 85 era? What was that first experience of the Coastal Classic like? Well, I was doing that as, as crew on a FAR 38 with um, with kind of an established crew and, and kind of jumped on for the Coastal and continued to do that on the same boat, really only racing with them in the Coastal. And I used to do their nationals with them um, back in the day. 
um, yeah, it was it was it was a long way. <laughs> it's a it's a long way in a slow boat, and um, there was we had everything in those first three or four races that I did on that boat from um, relatively light, where you where you're getting you you're north of Tutukaka, but you're not far north of Tutukaka at dawn. Uh, pretty light and, and uh, challenging nights of keeping the boat moving through to. I think um, one of the more breezy, I think it was a, it might have been 89, where we had, um, it was a really breezy race and, and we were well behind the leaders, but we still saw 50 odd knots at the Brett and we were reefing everything down and putting storm sails on and, uh, you know, it was pretty hairy. So it's, um, the race can chuck everything at you. And, and I think in those first uh, four or five years with them, we experienced most of them. Did you know it was a new race? Did you feel like um, you know, kind of pioneers of this this sort of coastal stuff? You know, what was the what was the feeling, the vibe of the race like in those early days? Well, I wasn't there for the first couple, um, but it was it was it was growing all the time. The interest was growing in it, and it used to get talked about. And every year, I can you know distinctly remember it. It's it got busier and busier and, and the real measure of that was, um, and back in those days, there was little, if any, organised function up there. It was essentially a race organised by the yachties, four yachties, which culminated in um, a massive raft up at the wharf, sometimes 10, 15, 20 boats wide hanging off the wharf with various anchors and and so on put out and and boats just rafted up and the party was on the boats and you kind of lurched your way from boat to boat and um and the night or the and or the whole of the next day was spent doing that and um you know telling the lies about the race that you've just had and the next one and so on so what is what's been the main change is it that kind of that organized social element at the end um, yeah, that's been one of the changes, and, and I think it's from a health and safety perspective. Um, can't have so many boats uh, rafted up that way, and and um, and possibly the consumption of, of alcohol in that manner is is much more structured. Um, but yeah, I think the the main change really is is been the, the interest in it. It's become an iconic race for New Zealand. It is the iconic race. Um, it's the one race that boats will come from overseas to partake in. Um, it's, you know, there are yachties that come back for it. Uh, there are, as you see from the the, um, the watching on, online from overseas, there's a whole lot of people that are re- really interested in it. It's, it's, it's one of the few New Zealand races that gets a mention in, in some of those uh, so-called famous race books that, and, and so on. It's it's become iconic. It's a relatively short race, but um, you know, it's over the years it's encompassed everything. We've had some fantastic um, boats come over, Alfa Romeo, and and you know we have multi hulls come from overseas right from the early days. Some of the early Australian multi hulls came over to have a crack at a bullfrog and and so on. And I think it's just been, just been a fantastic race, and um, you know it doesn't. I don't think it matters whether you end up with a very slow, light one, and you're drifting across the line at midday on Saturday, or um, I can remember the first time I finished in, in daylight, 
um, it was, you know, it's 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 enthralling and it's great to get there. And then there's always a good time had by all, which is which is part of what our sport's all about, I think. So is that's what brought you back for more than thirty years? Is is it just something that you do every October? Yeah, yeah. It's the start of the summer season, really, isn't it? We kind of prepare our boats for it and make sure all our safety gears up to scratch and. <clears throat> Usually we kind of get the crew together that's going to be the crew for the summer and and um, try and hit out and have some practice and, and even try and have a practice at night, putting some reefs in and shaking them out. And, you know, it's a, it's a good excuse to sharpen everything back up again and, and get ready for the season. And, and there's usually a whole lot of other races that follow on afterwards. And, yeah, it's, it's, that's what keeps you coming back. That, trying to win and having a crack at some records and... <laughs> Yeah, well, you've won 10 of them, um, eight with Frank Racing, formerly um, Team Vodafone Sailing, and two, I think, with the TP52 V5. Is, is there one that sticks out more than the others? Um, well, setting the records has always been good. I think probably one of the harder races we ever did was in V5. I think it would have been, it was the second time we won it, and it was it was stonking. It wasn't as bad as it can get, but I think we saw um, low to mid-30s on the nose coming up the coast, and we had a, um, we had a, it's, she was, she's a Canton keeler, we had a Canton keel failure um, off Cowell, and, and it was pretty nasty there, and a number of other boats pulled out at the same, same place, uh, including, I think, Living Doll from Australia had come over, she was bigger than us, um, and, the boys then hand pumped the keel all the way to Russell, um, and that was a probably a ten-minute job that took about three different people because they had to spell each other to pump the keel up to full cant. You could drop the keel uh, to central, but then you had to actually pump it during attack, and then, but then you had to actually manually pump it up. So that was um, perseverance, and um, I think that was the. That was the race that actually caused me to go and get a multi-hull because we got there and Taiping, we hadn't seen them. They'd, they'd broken something and actually gone into Kowal Bay to repair. And some stage during the night, they went past us. And um, when we got there at 2 or 3 in the morning, there was this damn multi-hull sitting there on the wharf, uh, the only boat to beat us. And sometime later on, I said to someone, Crikey, what are you got to do to win this race? And they said, shit, just go and buy a multi hull Go and get one of those old Ormas that's lying around Europe. Yeah, the rest is history. Mm. Well, you had that multi hole in 2017. So where does that one rank? Because you had some pretty serious competition that year with Bo Jest in town. Yeah, Bo, Bo Jest, I mean, it was great to have a, such a professional campaign. And, and we, had, um, we had Team Australia came over once and actually beat us we uh, we parked in a hole they went round us which was very frustrating uh it was nice to beat Bo Jest and she was um well sailed and well crewed and um and we had a we had a pretty good ding dong we got a little way ahead and then they at the Brett the Brett did its usual thing and they closed right up to within about 100 meters we could see the whites of their eyes and uh we just got through the Brett a little bit in front of them and um and snuck away all the way into the bay. So it was a good, a really good ding-dong. On board that year, you had uh, America's Cup 
skipper Jimmy Spittle. So how did that come about? <laughs> yeah, Jimmy. Um, fortunately, I, I'd kind of run into Jimmy before we did a we did a promotional or Vodafone did a promotional thing using the boat and uh, and someone else uh, racing virtual well actually virtually racing the boat from a helicopter with a remote control of of Vodafone. Um, so I had met Jimmy, and, and, and this person was who won the competition raced Jimmy. Um, so I had I had met him, and I saw that he was going to be in New Zealand doing some business speaking the following week. So I jumped on the phone and rang him up and and said, "Hey, do you want to do the Coastal Classic?" And he said, "Oh yeah, if you fly me back from the Bay of Islands, I'll um, order me a helicopter. I'll um, I'll come and do it. That'd be great fun." So. Um, yeah, he he came and and what a what a great character he is and and what a patient man he was as as people rolled into the pub he answered the same questions over and over for five or six hours um, and uh, let everyone take selfies and so on he's a, he's a great guy and and obviously a very you know very capable sailor he was he was fantastic to have on board and obviously called tactics and had a drive and and so on. I was going to ask you about that. Do you you let him drive? Is it normally difficult to get you off the handlebars? Yeah, pretty difficult, especially in those short races. It's oh, you know, I'm there for the grin. It's uh, it's a bit that makes you grin the most. Uh, yeah, everybody. I mean, on the longer races, um, everybody has to have a drive, and and I've been lucky with the boats I've had. I've had um, attracted the boats have been fast enough to attract some pretty capable people no doubt more capable than myself but uh yeah i love to drive boats that's what i that's what i do it for that's what i'm in the sport for so um yeah most of the guys um help me drive it as fast as i can and and yeah it's great fun but jimmy jimmy had a couple of hours on the handlebars and i think he had a pretty good time we were we were we were sitting uh, we had quite a period two or three hours we were sitting in, in mid 30s with beam reaching and it was it was pretty pretty belligerent day so it was great you talked about race records so clearly you were motivated by them you know how difficult was it to chase them at times because sometimes you didn't really have that much competition yeah oh the the you're often in racing in those conditions and and equally in offshore races you've got to treat it like every second matters because it does and you're often not in sight of other boats but when you all come together at the end of a offshore race it can come down to to, to minutes and seconds so um yeah always had a crew that's pretty cognizant of that and, and used to sailing the boat like that uh, perpetually at 100 percent or as close to it as you dare so um yeah we we just treated it every race like that whether we had competition or not and um yeah, it's it's and then chase that those records and and uh, yeah, got it broken last year by um, Bo Jess. Good on them. They, they had a had a good race and in great conditions. So you, you had the Orma sixty. Uh, what you brought it in two thousand and ten? Was it you know difficult to get the grips with a multi hull after all those years on a mono? It was different, uh, without a doubt, um, and. You had to treat it with a fair bit of respect whilst we learnt, you know, they're, um, they're powerful boats and that you can turn them over. Um, but we, I think we, we slowly eased into it. I, I brought it in and 
tail end of 2009. We couldn't do the 2009 race because we didn't have it all put back together. Um, and we, I think we did Bay Week 210 was our first kind of proper hit out racing. We'd had a few sales beforehand. And um, yeah, it was, it was definitely a learning process for, for us and the crew, both the size and the power of, of a boat like that, which is a significant step up. You know, the stability of those things is equal to, to some of the old America's Cup boats and, and kind of, you know, um, Volvo 70s and that sort of thing. So they're big, powerful boats. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was, but it, it's just a, a multi hole like any other to sail. And I, I, I'd done a little bit of uh, cat sailing as a kid in, in dinghies and paper tigers and, and hydras and a few other uh, small cats, um, beach cats. So... Yeah, well, I think we, we came to grips with it, and, and once again, you know, it's one of the one of the advantages, I guess, of having the fastest boat in town. You can bring some really good people together who, without a doubt, have taught me a huge amount about sailing in general and, and sailing those sort of boats in particular. So that's, you know, it's been a learning process. We, we all learned together, and I think we did it, did it okay. Yeah, well, you got rid of it a couple of years ago, though. So um, what was the story behind that? Oh, it was time to move it on. I'd um, I bought a little foiling boat, which I foilings, in my humble opinion, going to be the way of the future. Um, I mean, the Orma is kind of semi-foiled, and we put some T foils on the rudders on on our Orma, and that made a significant improvement in performance. Um, but I brought a, a full foiling; it's just a little thirty-two footer, but it's 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 a whole another level. Um, the speed. Um, I, I think foiling is going to be the way of the future and, and who knows where it's all going to end up. So you, you talked about the fact you lost that race record last year to Bo Jess. Do you think you'll be back in future to try to take it back off them? I'd like to think so, Michael. <laughs> I'd like to think I'll get back and have another crack at that for sure. What, what time do you think is possible? Oh, I've always said five hours was breakable in the right conditions because most of the times when we'd been close to five hours, we'd had park-ups at the Brett sometimes of, of 15 or 20 minutes. So um, <clears throat> I think Bo Jess got pretty close to five hours last year. They, they shaved 10 minutes or so off, off our best time. And um, under five hours is dead easy. But, you know, and then from there, it's really a matter of we never had absolutely ideal conditions and even last year, Bo Jess, I mean, one of the things at this time of year, this race is fairly early in the year, so it's kind of fairly boisterous conditions generally, often southwesterly, um, which is kind of good. You get some flat water, but you turn, as you turn around the Brett, the Brett's a big hole because it's such a high land mass, and, and that's a challenge to get around. But then as you turn around the corner of the Brett and go into the bay, usually you're on the wind, uh, a long and a short and sometimes even you know a full beat and that takes a, a lot of time if the far one of the fastest races time wise or, or conditions wise that i've had a, i think it was might have been 90 uh, da, 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 yeah 96 maybe i think primo one well, i was on i had m1 in those days and we were second boat around the bread and broke something and ended up third home and it was the first time we'd uh, finished in daylight we finished right on eight o'clock and well, it was dusk but uh, it was light <laughs> and 
you know that was a that was a sou'easter, and those conditions, if you ever got them in a in a um, uh, with these big multis, you'd you'd knock some more time off the record. And then again, if, if you get flat water and sou'easterlies, uh, which you usually get, a foiling boat hugging the shore has the potential to do a pretty quick time too. So I you know I think the right in the right conditions you're going to get well under the five and and you know into into the fours somewhere there would you ever want to do it on a slower boat again you know to soak up a, a different experience or do you enjoy you know the comforts of a, a soft bed at night too much <laughs> oh it's nice finishing an afternoon smoker i guess the the challenge with that is um making any sense come midnight when the rest of them get in it's yeah i'd do it again on a slow boat with without a doubt on a, on a, on a leaner and and it's great fun it's it's actually the the event and the camaraderie and the you know the preparation of the boat it's all of those other aspects that are that are just as satisfying as as getting there first i think um maybe not quite as satisfying because we all try and get there first but th- there's a lot of satisfaction in all of that as well so yeah crikey i've um I've uh, yeah, I'd do I'd do it again on another boat and a smaller boat with with people you enjoy sailing with. That's what that's the joy of it. So who are some of those real characters of this race? You know, those people, I guess, who are synonymous with it. Oh, I think they've they've varied over the years. Um, Don Sinclair Brown, you know, was always a stalwart and. and anticipation and he was he was always there i mean one of the one of the big ones has got to be matthew flynn who i think was in the original race um aboard crisis his father was one of the one of the organ original organizers of it i believe he's been commodore of the multi hull yacht club he's he's actually been a, a great stalwart of of the race itself and 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 continues to be a great supporter he's done it i don't know how many times single-handed in, in his recent his most recent boat and he's done it in a myriad of different boats and and probably is the guy who's done more of them than anybody else i would imagine um so he's he's synonymous with it i mean all of the there's been you know all of the guys that have had leading boats in the auckland fleet or in the new zealand fleet have come and had a crack at it and, and most of them have won it at different times we've had america's cup Teams do it in the America's Cup boats or, or the um, the Explore boats. They've done done the race a number of times and won it. Um, we've had had round the world boats do it when they've been here. Um, all sorts of things. It's it's yeah. Everybody's had a crack at it. Well, you're also now involved in the race as an organizer, being on the committee of the New Zealand um, Multi Hole Yacht Club, and you're also on Yachting New Zealand's Cork committee. So what does, I guess, those roles entail for you? Um, well, the court committee, I, I represent the Multi Hole Yacht Club on that. But the court committee essentially is, is it's the court's the uh, acronym for the Coastal Inshore and Offshore Racing Committee. Really, our, our mandate is to, um, <clears throat> to try and further competition of recreational sailing and, and all sorts of keelboats, trailer boats, multi hulls. Um, so it's kind of non-dinghy related stuff and obviously the safety thereof, um, et cetera, et cetera, and just, just try and facilitate 
um, as much activity as we can, try and grow the fleets and, and um, you know, foster safe uh, yacht racing in those. Um, as far as the, the Māori Hau Yacht Club and, and the Coastal Committee, that's our biggest event. It's the biggest event in, in New Zealand annually. So it's quite a, you know, there's quite a lot of organisation in it, but but I'm just one of a number of people that um, that all uh, chip in and, and like most clubs in New Zealand, you know, it's a whole lot of volunteers, all of whom uh, passionately give a bit of time and, and do what they can and, and shivers. I think that's what keeps sailing in general alive in New Zealand, really. So it's, it's nothing out of the ordinary there, I think. There's obviously been a, a number of challenges this year. So were there times when you thought maybe this year's race might not be going ahead because of COVID? <laughs> There's been a number of scenarios, like a, an out-and-back race, a non-stop race where you go through the finish line and, and don't actually stop because you're not allowed to. Uh, virtual races at one stage it looked like it might be, and fingers crossed, Michael, at this stage it's looking like we might just have a good old normal uh, Coastal Classic. So, yeah, we've, we've looked at all the different scenarios and, and we'll just have to continue to to dynamically um, address whatever we find on the day. But uh, fingers crossed that, that the country and um, and the race will go ahead as per normal. What sort of future do you see for the race? Well, I guess more of the same. It's um, I, I hope it'll continue to be one of New Zealand's iconic races and, and um, you know, one that more and more other people will... Uh, possibly try and come from overseas to, to attend, but it's a long way to come for a 120-mile race. But, yeah, hopefully it's, it, it'll just it'll keep going uh, ad infinitum. What about for you? Oh, hopefully I've got a few more uh, Coastal Classics left in me, Michael. I'll certainly, yeah, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be doing it um, in one shape, way, shape or form for sure uh, for a number of years to come. Who knows? I'll, um, yeah... Watch this race. Are you on the start line this year? No. No, I don't think I'll be on the start line this year. Um, I'll, I'll probably watch from afar. I haven't got a boat to uh, to really do it. But, um, yeah, no, not on the start line this year. Maybe you could jump in that GC32 of yours and give them a flyby. Oh, we might just go out and watch the start. Who knows? Very good, Willis. Hey, it's been great to catch up uh, and get some of those experiences um, from you, particularly, you know, those um, memorable wins that you had through the years and, and some thoughts back to those earlier days. And, um, you know, I really appreciate um, your input into the race and, and um, keelboat sailing as well. So um, all the best for that. And thanks for joining us on Broadreach Radio today. Cheers, Michael. Thanks. Well, that's it for another episode of Broadreach Radio. Thanks for tuning in. If you've got any suggestions or feedback, then feel free to drop me a line at michaelb at yachtingnz.org.nz. And if you like what you've been hearing, then give us a follow. I'll be back in a fortnight with another interview. Until then, take care.